Let me welcome you to Congressman Cummings' 14th annual How to Pay for College seminar. My name is Vernon Sims. I'm Congressman Cummings' chief of staff. Congressman Cummings asked me to apologize for him. He had to go to Washington to vote. He had a choice of either canceling the seminar or letting it go on, so he decided that he should let it go on. So we're going to conduct this without him tonight. Um, we have, oh, first let me thank Dr. Carla Hayden, the Chief Executive Officer of Enoch Pratt Library, who has graciously hosted this seminar this evening. And let me also thank Teresa Edmonds and her staff at Enoch Pratt Free Library for all the help that they've had and put into this seminar. The um, last thing I'd like to do in terms of thanking people is also thank you for coming. It shows that you are determined to improve and strengthen the quality of your lives. We've been joined today by a group of expert panelists who are knowledgeable in obtaining help on how to get into college and how to stay in college. I'm going to introduce our panelists first. Ms. Patricia Scott, Assistant Vice President of Financial Aid with the University of Maryland. She will discuss federal financial assistance programs. Mr. Robert Parker, Director of the Maryland Higher Education Commission. He will discuss financial assistance offered by the State of Maryland. Ms. Roberta Goldman, Program Director of Central Scholarship Bureau. She will discuss how to search for private scholarship opportunities. Mr. Troy Quinn, Associate Director of Admissions for Morgan State University, will discuss the college admissions process. Ms. Julie Knox, Assistant Director of Advising for Howard Community College, will discuss why students should consider community colleges to begin their post-secondary education. And finally, joining us to speak about the SAT and college assessment test preparation, which is one of the most important steps toward being accepted at a college of your choices, Mr. Marlon Ritchie, Director of Marlin Learning Center. Please join me in welcoming our guests. Thank you. Rather than go into a very long speech about the importance of college, I'm going to get right to our panelists. First, Ms. Patricia Scott, the Assistant Vice President of Financial Aid at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. Good evening. Okay. Now, I'm going to take probably five minutes just to highlight some things that you should be thinking about doing now in preparing to receive financial aid for the 2011-2012 academic year. And for me, that's kind of scary because I've been doing this since 1983. So when I have to say 2011, 2012, that means either I can't find a job anywhere else or... <laughs> This is what I was destined to do. What I would encourage you to do right now, this is November 15th. If you're going to complete the free application for federal student aid on January 1st, which is the first date that you can complete it for the 2011-2012 year, what you want to do right now is to get your PIN number. Similar to the PIN number that you're going to have when you use your ATM, 
the federal government will assign you a PIN number, and you will be able to use that PIN number to electronically sign your free application for federal student aid if you, as a family, decide that your child will actually borrow money to attend school, and as a parent who has put one child through undergraduate school, he thought it was going to be a free ride, but when he was eligible for a subsidized loan, he borrowed a subsidized loan, he's graduated, and he's repaying his subsidized loan. So I think that as a family, we all can share in that debt load process. So in order to get a pen, if you have some, something to write down, I'm going to quickly give you the website for the pen. But if you have this booklet here, and this will probably be easier so that we can go along with the process. If you have this booklet here and you should have it in your packet, what you want to do is to mark page 28 of this booklet, and it will give you the website for the pen. Once you get your PIN number, January 1st, you'll be able to complete the free application for federal student aid. As a school, we strongly encourage you, if you are able to do so, to file the FAFSA electronically. If you file it electronically, as a school, we'll get your results sooner, and we'll be able to work with you sooner to develop what your financial aid packet is going to be. It's very important also that you understand applying for federal aid is free. That's why the form is called the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Never pay anyone to process this form. So when you go to the website, and the website is also listed in your booklet, make certain that you go to www.fafsa.ed.gov. Because if you go to FAFSA.com, that's a commercial site, and they're going to charge you to complete a form which you should not pay for. Now, briefly, completing this form, you will find out if you are eligible to receive a federal Pell Grant, the maximum a student can receive in an academic year is $5,500. The federal government also gives funds to schools called the Federal Supplemental Education Opportunity Grant, where if you're eligible for a Pell Grant, a school can award you anywhere from $100 in a supplemental grant to $4,000. As a freshman, if your child has graduated from a very rigorous high school program, a school can also, through the federal government, consider them for the ACG grant, so that's another $750. So if we add together the federal funds just by completing this free form, depending on your eligibility, that's $10,250 that you could have towards the cost of attendance. Then there are the loan programs. A student can borrow, based on their eligibility, up to $3,500 from the federal direct loan program. They can also borrow an additional $2,000 from the unsubsidized federal direct loan program. So if we're looking at our numbers of what this one form will determine your eligibility for, it could possibly be $10,250 in federal grants, $5,500 in federal loans. So let's say, for example, the cost of attendance at the school that you're applying to is $30,000. If we subtract the federal grants and the federal loans, there's still an additional $14,000 that you would have to come up with to take care of that $30,000. But Mr. Parker will be able to tell you, if you attend a state school, if you attend a state school, 
you could probably get some more free money to take care of that $14,000. Thank you, Ms. Scott. And Ms. Scott, you said never, ever, never, ever pay for what? For what you get for free. Okay. And one of the things that you pointed out was the FAFSA form. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm pleased that the students from the Elijah Cummings Youth Program in Israel are here. Could you please stand? Thank you for coming. Now we'll hear from Mr. Robert Parker, Director of the Maryland Higher Education Commission. Let me just remind you, we'll have questions and answers at the end of all of the presentations. Thank you. Good evening. I'm glad you're all here. Uh, I am really the director of the Office of Student Financial Assistance at the Maryland Higher Education Commission. I'm sure Dr. Lyons would uh, not say I got a promotion yet. Okay. So, uh, Like I say, I'm glad you're all here. Uh, I'm going to follow up on something Ms. Scott said. Uh, she said when you apply for federal aid, that the only thing you have to do is file the FAFSA. It's free, and you get considered for federal student aid. Actually, that's all it takes to get qualified or determine your eligibility for most of the state financial aid programs also. Our deadline for you to apply for state aid following the FAFSA is March 1st. As long as you fill out a FAFSA, you put a Maryland school on that FAFSA, and there's a place where you can indicate up to? Ten schools online. You can put ten schools that you want to get those results. As long as you put one Maryland school, you will get considered for the need-based aid programs that Maryland funds. And I'd like to go through some of those programs because the majority of the funds that Maryland makes available for students in financial aid is through the need-based aid programs. Each year we put about $104 million in our aid programs. Around 82% of that goes to need-based aid. So the majority does go for students that apply for need-based aid programs. We have quite a few need-based aid programs also that provides opportunities to get funds. We have a guaranteed access grant program. It's the foundation for our need-based aid programs. It's the premier uh, need-based aid programs for Maryland. That program requires you to have a 2.5 grade point average, however, in order to be considered for it in addition to showing need. The reason we do that is because we want to make sure that the people that participate in this program, the students, are well prepared to get into college because you have to complete a high school college prep program. And the reason we have it that way is you can get up to $14,000 a year in this program. So we make it available. We have about 1,300 students each year that get that money from that program. So it's a very good program. The, the other majority of the uh, need-based aid programs comes from our educational assistance program. You show financial need, you put a Maryland school, you can get up to $3,000 from that program. And the range depends on your need. And what Ms. Scott said is true. If you apply for need-based aid in Maryland, using the FAFSA, you get a full Pell Grant, you get a full EA Grant, that's $8,500 right there in free money. And if you qualify, meet the qualifications for guaranteed access, you can go to school for free at a Maryland school. So we have these programs available just like that, that you can apply for need-based aid and get enough grant funds to cover the majority of you going, uh, the cost of attendance. And that includes your tuition, your fees, room and board, 
books, and supplies. In addition to financial aid and need-based categories, we have merit-based scholarships also. We have a program called Distinguished Scholar Program. You don't even have to show need. All you have to do is apply for this, and you apply for this program through your high school guidance counselor. You have to remember that because they have to do certain certifications for this program. You can get up to $3,000 from that program. And what we're looking for is people that uh, are national merit finalists automatically qualify for this program. So if you're out there listening and you're a national merit finalist and you apply for this program, you automatically get $3,000 to attend the Maryland school. Now, I want to make one thing clear about financial aid to the state of Maryland. It is only for Maryland residents attending Maryland schools, okay? Now, in addition to those programs, the legislatures of the state of Maryland, your state delegates and your state senator, they have financial aid available through their scholarship programs. The senators in Maryland and the state delegates determine eligibility for those funds. You have to apply directly to your state senator and your state delegate. You should be thinking about that now. In your packet is a little brochure called the Quick Guide, College 411 Quick Guide. It lists all of our financial aid programs, tells you a little bit about them, what you need to do to apply, usually just filling out the FAFSA. Senatorial delegate scholarships, you need to contact their office. Our website has a, a listing of all the uh, state senators and state delegates so you can contact them. And you should be doing that as soon as January 1st comes around. Okay? January 1st is the key. March 1st is the other key deadline. That is our deadline that you have to complete the FAFSA to be considered for state aid. And in, I think at both schools in Maryland, that's pretty close to their deadline also. Some schools have earlier deadlines. I think there's some that have uh, uh, February 15th deadlines. In addition to those programs I've went over, there are some other programs that are geared mostly for unique populations, like occupational fields. We have uh, programs that uh, deal with workforce shortage areas where you could possibly get a grant if you agreed to go into a certain field of teaching, nursing, and then agree to work in that field in a specific place that we approve in the state of Maryland for one year for each year that you get the award. Again, we have several unique programs like that. So if you're thinking about a field in nursing, field in teaching, there's also that type of program that's available for you to apply. And if you get one of those uh, or eligible for that, it's in addition to anything else that you may be eligible for. So it's important to realize you can get aid from three or four of these programs at one time. And we have a lot of students that do that in the state of Maryland. So remember, March 1st is deadline. You have to have that FAFSA completed. Be sure you enter a Maryland school on your FAFSA, at least one. And be sure that you contact your state delegates and your state senator and inquire about the legislative scholarships that they have available for you. One thing about the legislative scholarships, that's the only program in the state of Maryland that you can use for an out-of-state school. But there are restrictions applied to that. So you need to talk to your delegate or your senator about that. I thank you very much for listening. And if you have questions, we'll be available afterwards. Thank you.
Thank you, Mr. Parker. Can you give us the website for the listing of the state senators and delegates so that folks have it? Oh, you want their website? The list, you said your website yes. lists. Yes, yes, It's uh, www.mhec.state.md.us. Can you do that one more time? Yes. It's www.mhec.state.md.us. Thank you. Now we'll hear from Ms. Roberta Goldman. Program Director of the Central Scholarship Bureau. Oh, good evening, everyone. Um, it's nice to see everyone here tonight. So I'm going to talk about the money that is not federal money, not state money, but the money that will help you fill the gap that you might have left when you have already got all those monies. Okay. Okay. Um, these are from private corporations. Thank you. <laughs> private corporations or community organizations like Central Scholarship Bureau. Um, CSB, we have about 28 different scholarship programs that you can apply for. Last year, we gave away just over $1 million to about 250 students, all from the state of Maryland. Um, about 80 of those students were from Baltimore City. So there is you know, some money out there, and there, there are other organizations like us. It does take a little work on your part to go out and find it. Um, I do a lot of presentations in high schools, and I hear a lot of students say, I'm not going to apply, I know I won't get it, or it was too much work, I didn't have time to do this. But this money is going to be given away. We gave away the million dollars. So you know what? It may as well be to you. you know, if you don't apply, you might be giving it to the guy sitting next to you. So we encourage you to look for them and make the effort to apply. Um, I know you're busy. There are ways to reduce the workload. If you write an essay, the student, you can tweak the subject matter of your essay so you don't have to rewrite a new essay every time. Um, you can keep copies of all, the, of all the, your recommendations and information. Um, kind of look at it this way. If you spend two or, two or three hours submitting a scholarship application and you get $500 or $1,000, that's a pretty good job. You'd have a hard time finding a job that would pay you, you know, $250 or $500 an hour. So it's a pretty good investment. Um, okay, we have one common application for all of our scholarships. So you go to our website, you fill out one online application, and you will be considered for all of our scholarship programs. So one, one way to reduce the work is to look for, look for organizations that do that also. Um, when should you look? Start now. Um, a lot of scholarship information is being posted now for the 2011-2012 academic year. Um, some have early deadlines, November, December. Uh, we are one of the latest deadlines. Our deadline is May 1st, but we're one of the latest ones. What I would say is when you go on January 1st to fill out that FAFSA, January 2nd, go on and fill out the CSB application. We open our application January 1st. So while you're doing it, just go on and fill ours out too. Go on and look for the other private scholarship applications and just work your way down and fill them out while you're doing it. That way you won't miss a deadline. You don't have to wait until you know where you're going to school. Um, you can't because you'll miss the deadline. So make sure you, just, you get your application in. Uh, what else? Where, where do you look? Places where you work, places where your parents work, places where you go to church, places where you shop, Target, Shoe City, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, the Elks, the Masons, local churches, all have scholarship programs. Uh, okay. And the odds, actually, of winning scholarships in the local community are higher 
I mean, in the Central Scholarship Bureau, it's about one in eight applicants get a scholarship. If you're looking at the big, well-known national ones like Coca-Cola, it could be about one in 500. So if you hunt down the local ones in your churches and community organizations, the ones that the high school counselor posts on the bulletin board, your odds are much better, too. Um, look on the internet. Look on CSB's webpage. Um, again, just like the FAFSA, looking for scholarships should be free. Be very wary of anyone that says they're going to charge you to find scholarships because you can do all this on your own online. You can go to um, fastweb.com. You can go to scholarships.com. And these are all free sites. They're paid for by advertisers. They are free to the student, and our site is free. And you can go on and search for scholarships that way. Um, and look on Facebook now. We're on, CSB is on Facebook we're on Twitter. We have a blog. So anytime you're on those sites or social media, you can you know, spend a few minutes look for scholarships. Um, when you apply, I would say two important things. Deadlines and directions. Make sure you meet the deadline, and they are all different for private scholarships. So it's a little tricky. You do have to look, and you do have to like, maybe write yourself a calendar or a list of when the deadlines are. Our deadline is May the 1st. We get about 3,000 applications every year for our 250 awards. There's no point applying on May 2nd, even if you're the best student in the world, because you know, we already have 3,000 people to walk through. Uh, okay, uh, follow directions. Complete the application exactly as the scholarship provider asks you to do, and I know sometimes the high school students, some of the requirements can be silly. Um, for example, we ask you not to staple pages, we ask you not to fold pages, we ask you to use a certain size envelope. A lot of scholarship providers do that. Um, imagine someone opening 3,000 envelopes and pulling out staples and folding out papers. Maybe you can imagine why it's important to, to some of the staff to do that. Uh, but even if you don't see the point of it, follow the directions, because part of the steps that you're showing is that you can follow directions. And often, that's the first group that gets thrown out. You know, we have 3,000 to go through. We can only make 250 scholarships. The group that didn't follow directions gets put on the side to start with. And uh, make and keep copies of everything. You can use them again for another application, and you can send them back in if something happens to get lost, or you think you sent it and you didn't. You have a copy easily at your hand. Um, if you do get a scholarship award, remember to write a thank you note to the organization or the person. Um, that won't guarantee that you get the scholarship again, but it certainly will help. If you don't write a thank you note, I can pretty much say it would guarantee you won't get the scholarship again. Um, and I would say reapply. If you get a, unless, unless the scholarship specifically says, this is one time, don't reapply, please reapply. We get a lot of students who would get awards again, and they just forget to reapply. So if you get a scholarship award from somewhere, you already have an in in that organization. They have already invested money in you, and they've already shown that they like you. Reapply. Also, if you don't get a scholarship award, I'm going to say the same thing. Reapply. Because every year it's different. You're different, you have another year of experience, the money available is different, the other applicants are different. Um, for example, we have a lot of awards that we give only to juniors and seniors in college. So, you know, if you apply as a freshman, you don't get an award, and you don't reapply, you'll never find out about the ones that you would get as a junior or senior. So I would suggest you do that. And um, I wish you all the best of luck in funding your college next year. Thank you, Ms. Goldman.
We'll now hear from Mr. Troy Quinn, Associate Director of Admissions for Morgan State University. He will discuss the college admissions process. Good evening. You all don't seem too excited about all this free money information. That's good. You're excited? Okay. Um, well, of course, before you can take advantage of all this free money um, for yourself and students and children, the college admissions process. Um, let me say some things real quick uh, that I'm sure you already know. Um, one of my colleagues mentioned, pay very close attention to deadlines. Um, they are priority application deadlines. You submit your application, required documentation prior to that deadline. You have first priority to whatever it is you qualify for. Um, you do want to make sure main pieces of documentation in addition to that application, application fees, official transcripts, official copies of SAT or ACT scores, you want to submit all that information prior to those deadlines, okay? What universities look for, in addition to the requirements, GPAs, SATs, ACTs, um, recommendation letters, what else do you, do you have to share with us? Uh, we know that you are more than just grades on a transcript. You're more than just test scores. Outside of that information, what else do you do? We have students who attend Morgan who receive full scholarships, okay? In addition to these scholarships you heard about who sing with Morgan's choir. So if you're interested in sharing your vocal talents outside the shower, we know we all have fun singing in the shower. But if you're interested in sharing it, there are students who receive full scholarships performing with the choir. Um, in that application packet, you want to include if you're interested in the band, if you're interested in, if you're involved with your community organizations, if you're involved with churches, um, what else do you do? Those are things we look for. Those are things not only do we need from you to explore the opportunities that our institution has to offer, what we find a lot is, oh, those students may meet the requirements and they only submit the required documentation. We don't find out until later that they do have a talent in terms of singing and perform with the choir, that they're interested in the band. Morgan has a band and we have band scholarships. Um, any group, club, or organization you're involved in in high school, student government association, your school newspapers, all of those organizations have internships and opportunities to receive additional resources um, to assist in funding your college education, okay? But I can't stress enough, you do want to pay attention to priority application deadlines and submitting complete application packets, okay? We know some of you have some challenges with high schools in terms of requesting your guidance counselors to submit those transcripts, okay? But if you are, how many seniors in the room? How many seniors have taken the SAT or ACT? Okay. How many have actually applied to college? All right, so you, you're ahead of the game. You, once you actually have completed 9th, 10th, and 11th grade, okay, you've taken the SAT or ACT, you can apply and receive an admission decision um, to pretty much any school, okay? Any decision, of course, is 
in need of the successful completion of any coursework in progress. So that's basically your senior year. You need to submit that additional completed transcript at the end of that, but you can receive an admission decision with at least 19th and 11th grade complete in the SAT or ACT scores, okay? After you do that, you have priority consideration, especially any student who applying prior to the Christmas break. You will receive priority consideration to most programs that colleges and universities have to offer, okay? Very simple process. Um, as they say, we will be around a little to answer any questions, and I wish you all the best of luck. Now we'll hear from Ms. Julie Knox-Brown, Assistant Director of Advising for Howard Community College. Good evening, and um, Good I'm going to talk to you about being at uh, Community College, and you'll hear some very different things than from what you heard from Mr. Quinn regarding some of the four-year institutions. I'll speak basically from Howard Community College, which is what I know since that's where I've been <coughs> employed for much of my career. <coughs> we have open admissions. You fill out the application, you pay the $25 application fee, and you can actually be admitted right on the spot. We don't require SAT or ACT unless you're in a special program such as Rouse Scholars, which has to do with um, a program for students with high honors and, and high scholastic achievement. If you have taken the SAT and the ACT, we do look at those scores as it relates to entering directly into college-level English and college-level math. If you have a 550 or above on your critical reading or a 550 or above on your math, then you would go right into college-level math without having to take a placement test. And if you do have to take a placement test, that's okay too. Um, we do have a variety of developmental college preparatory courses that will gear you to get your skills up to the college level. Since November 3rd, we started our early registration for our winter and spring terms. And in the Office of Admissions and Advising, where I am employed, we have had over 200 students a day come in and out of our office to schedule classes for the winter and spring terms. That's a lot of students when you take that 200 and you multiply it by five and it just keeps going and going. The first day we actually had over 300. There must be a reason why community colleges are bursting at the seams all over the nation. And the first thing I want to say is we are not in competition with the four-year institutions. When you're applying to school, you need to get it out of your head that if I go here, it's better than going there. If I go here, it's better than if I go there. It's not where you go. It's get your education and how meaningful you make that education for you when you finish and get your degree or degrees or certificates. That's what means the most and how you apply it in life and how you help someone else along the way. So why are students coming to community colleges? Well, first of all, they're convenient. We all have them. If you live in the city, it's Baltimore City Community College. If you live in Baltimore County, it's the Community College of Baltimore County or Baltimore County Community College or whatever the name is now. I'm old, so, you know, it's been a lot of different names. 
For us, it's Howard Community College. There's one in Hagerstown. There's one in Anne Arundel. They're all over. So community colleges are convenient, and they're right in your, your neighborhood, right in your own backyard. Class size. Some people thrive better when you're in a smaller environment. The average class size at our institution is about 26. There may be some courses like science or history where there may be 48 in a class. So you need to know how you learn best. Can you take being in an auditorium where there might be 300 or 400 students, or would you rather have a smaller environment? Different things work for different people. It's cost effective. Each community college has their own rate um, for tuition according to the area in which you live. So if you live in Baltimore County, you will get the Baltimore County rate. You live in Howard County, you'll get the Howard County rate. But as our friend said earlier, make sure you apply for financial aid because sometimes that financial aid can compensate for some of those out-of-county fees. And students attend community college because they need to brush up on some skills. Or if you're coming right out of high school, you need to take those core classes. And students don't want to take those core classes. It's sort of like those vegetables that your folks made you eat and you really didn't want to do that. You got to eat your broccoli and your peas and sometimes occasionally your Brussels sprouts and your turnips and these are the vegetables that I had to eat when I was growing up. And that's what some of the courses feel like. I don't want to take a fine arts. I don't want to take math. I don't want to take English. I'm majoring in computer science. All I want to take is computer science classes. You have to take those core classes because they make you a better person. They make you a well-rounded person. And I always like to blame it on MHEC because MHEC says so. It's what you have to do. There are certain rules and guidelines and things that need to be in each curriculum. It's what you have to do. So you have the core classes, the basics. There are also some very creative ways to take classes, and community colleges are trying to stay ahead of the game with technology. So you can take a lecture class, which would be similar to the environment that you're in now. And yes, we have the online. And now we have hybrid classes. where a combination of online. Sometimes you're doing your work on the computer, and other times you're meeting um, in the classroom with the instructor. And we have daytime classes and evening classes. We have classes that begin at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we have weekend classes. We have fast track, where sometimes you can just sort of take your classes in a compact fashion. For instance, we have winter session, which we're, I believe, the only school in the state to have a 15-week semester crammed into four weeks. Can it be done? Yes, but you have to be focused. I've had students that have taken calculus in that amount of time. No partying, no Facebook. You just pedal to the metal and forge ahead. It's what students do. And we're also branching out. Community colleges have different sites. I know uh, Anne Arundel Community College has something going on uh, near the Arundel uh, Mills Mall. And we have a combined effort with Prince George's Community College, where we offer classes in Laurel at the Laurel College Center. So community colleges are not only in the community. They're reaching out and getting into the state. And we also have creative programs. We have uh, a digital arts degree. For those of you that like to play those games, so we have a degree that you can actually learn how to create gaming and simulation, digital arts. Culinary and hospitality management um, has begun to grow, and I'm speaking for, for our institution. We also have a hospitality management program in casino management. I know that's been a big issue with voting, so I'm not really going to get into that, but we do have that program. 
And then we have the more traditional things with the allied health and teacher ed and, and some of the traditional programs. So take a look and, and know yourself best. That's, that's the best advice I can give to you. And please, by all means, whether it's a two-year institution or a four-year institution, if it is local and if it is within your means, visit that institution. Students are always saying, I want to go here, I want to go there, I want to go to Morgan, I want to go to UMBC. And I ask them, have you ever set foot on the campus? No, I just want to go because my friends go there. You need to walk around and you need to set foot on the campus because sometimes you get that feel. Is this a place for you? You can always shadow a student. You can always take a tour. These are things that you need to do. Virtual tours are good. And that may be great if you're planning on going to the University of Hawaii and you can't get there because it's not local. But to be here and not have an opportunity to make an opportunity for yourself to visit an institution that is in the state, that's a crime. You're right here. If you don't drive, I know you know people who do. They will be happy to take you there and make it a pleasurable, pleasurable trip. Make it a, a family day um, because your family has your best interest at heart. So without further ado, I wish you well, and we will be here to answer any questions. Thank you. Our final panelist before we take questions is Mr. Marlon Ritchie, director of Marlin Learning Center. Good evening, everyone. Well, it's wonderful to see you guys here tonight to take the time out to come and listen to us and hopefully get some good information to help you to pay for college. Uh, before I continue, I just want to remind you that when you heard of all the free money earlier, well, where did that money come from? It's your tax dollars, guys, okay? So don't be shy. It's your money coming back to you. Apply for everything that you are entitled to without being shy, without feeling, oh, well, I don't know. You go for it. It's your tax money, okay? And that's as far as I'm going to go with, with that. Now, uh, SAT, ACT, uh, which one do you take? Possibly both. Um, they're slightly different exams, and uh, some students do better in one than the other. And nowadays, most of the schools are accepting either or both of the uh, tests. Uh, for those of you who have issues with uh, or are unable to afford to pay for all these tests, there are uh, check with your guidance counselors to get some fee waivers if possible so you can have a good chance of taking both SAT and ACT if uh, possible. For those of you who are seniors, uh, there's still the possibility of taking another SAT. Now, now why would you want to take another SAT if you are a senior? Well, obviously, SAT scores and ACT scores get you into the college of your choice. But, as you probably all know, there's also the issue of extra money. And in general, the higher your score, SAT or ACT, the more likely you are to get more scholarship money from the schools and elsewhere on top of what you've heard about, you know, the Pell Grants and so on, the federal and the state money. On top of that, some schools do give full scholarships, partial scholarships, and uh, I know Morgan does give uh, scholarships based partially on your ACT, SAT score as well as your GPA. So given your GPA, if you're a senior, 
there's still a chance to get your SAT score up or ACT score up to get more money for college up in addition to what we've heard about here uh, this evening. If you're a junior, well, you got several chances to take the SAT, ACT, make good use of these chances, and uh, get your uh, chances of uh, some more money uh, in your pocket. Now, how do, you prepare, how do you prepare for these exams? At the very least, in every school, I know this, if not in a school, certainly in the library, there are official guides to the SAT and to the ACT. Just look for the keywords, you know, SAT official guide or ACT official guide. Those are the ones you want to use, okay? Get the one that came from the test makers, the official guide. There's all kinds of stuff out there in the marketplace. It may have a catchy name or something you saw on TV. Go with the official guide. If this, if this is the only thing you're going to use to do your prep for your ACT or SAT, get the official guide. There are eight to ten real SATs, and there's about four real ACTs in their book. And another half of their books would be giving you good tips, good math strategies, good background math information and, and vocabulary, stuff like that that you can learn. So at the very least, there is no excuse whatsoever for you not getting access to the official guides either for the SAT or the ACT or both. If you want to buy them, they're about $20 each. Uh, but like I said, uh, your guidance uh, department has them at school and the libraries are full of them. So please make use of those, um, uh, those books uh, to do your prep. Now, if you can afford it or you have a friend who's good at teaching prep, uh, certainly I strongly recommend as well that you take a, a course, whether it's, it's paid for, some schools have some subsidized courses, some schools offer free courses, take advantage of them because they do help, okay? And the way to think about it is you're in competition with other people and the one who's more prepared is going to get the better score, okay? So if you want to just study one night before the test and take it, you're going to get a much smaller score than somebody who got their official SAT guide and studied for eight weeks, doing the practice tests, looking at the information, getting some help from teachers at school, stuff like that, or taking a course, as the case may be. Obviously, that person will get a better score. Okay, So I strongly urge you to take advantage of any kind of prep that you can get but like I said before, the minimum would be the uh, official guide to the SAT and the ACT official guide. And, you know, there's all kinds of uh, controversy about these standardized tests and people say it's unfair and it's biased and all of that. Look, let's be practical here, okay? This is what it is at this point in time. If you want to change it and you come out of college, run for office and do whatever you have to do and change the whole system, okay? <laughs> But at this stage of the game, this is what it is. So your job right now is not to gripe about the test. I'm going to be blunt here. Don't gripe about it. Fix it later when you get out of college. But for now, study for the test. Put in the effort. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. You've heard that, right? No pain, no gain, right? So you've got to sit down and practice and practice and practice. And the more you practice, the more familiar you get with the test, you start seeing patterns emerging, the same kinds of stuff over and over again, that's how you get your score up. 
So no substitute for hard work and diligence and dedication. And the rewards are great, okay? And, um, and parents, uh, I advise you, bribe your children if you have to, right? If you save me $10,000 with a nice SAT score, I will be very generous. I will be very glad about saving 10000 And I'll give you something as a token of my appreciation, okay? It works, okay? Um, you know, I'll take out the word bribery. Encourage your children, okay? <laughs> but you get the idea, okay? So, um, well, again, uh, thanks for coming, and I wish you all all the very best. And we'll be taking questions as soon as I'm done. Okay, so I'll go sit, and the panel will take questions. Thanks again. All the best. God bless you. Thank you. This is the part of the program where you get to save your parents money. <laughs> questions? Yeah, generally, the schools look at the best score. So with the SATs, unlike the graduate type, you know, the LSATs and the GMATs and all that, with the SAT, ACT, the colleges typically look at the best scores. Can you hear me? So, so there's no risk? No, no risk whatsoever. No risk whatsoever. And, and the chances of that happening are very slim. I mean, just practicing, I, I guarantee you, just having the kid just do, or whoever it is, do some extra practice, it will bring your score up. When you apply to, the, to your colleges, at that point, whatever you've done um, would go to the schools. But Troy can help. Right. When, when the student registers to take the test, I think they'll ask up to like three schools that you desire to have those results sent to. So they automatically send those um, if you indicate that you wanted those scores to go to that particular school. Not every time you take the test. Every time you take the test, you need to let them know if you want that set to be sent, that set of scores to be sent. But it's not automatic every time you take that test. Um, most schools, and, and I can pretty much just speak for Morgan, but for example, doesn't the, doesn't depend on your age. It just depends on where you are in your academic dealings. For example, if you graduated from high school 10 years ago, never attended school, you can be admissible under what's called a mature student policy, regardless of your prior academic performance. But if you graduated 10 years ago, um, this past year you attended a school, if you're transferring, depending mm -hmm. on how many credits you're actually transferring, that's going to depend on if we actually need any high school information because you're within that three-year policy. So, if you, if, for example, if Morgan, if you're transferring more than 24 credits, trans transferable credits, we don't need any high school information. Okay? So it just depends on where you are in terms of, you know, when you last attended school. Yeah. One of the things I'd like to say is that I went back to school two years ago and I was able to get aid. Now, of course, I'm working so that I do have some reimbursement from my job, and that's something that anybody should look at because whether it's part-time or full-time, you may be able to get some funding. But I was able to get um, financial aid by way of actually um, a, a grant and a scholarship. Um, so it is, it is possible. It, you, you won't know unless you apply. I would rather apply and have someone or some agency or system tell me no than to not apply and never know if I could have gotten any money at all. Because if you don't get it, somebody else out there will. 
I think uh, our checks are made out, um, uh, CSB does, they're made out to the student and the school duly, and we mail them to the financial aid office or the bursar's office of the school, depending on that school's policy. The student goes in to endorse the check over to the school. And my understanding is that it's applied to any outstanding amounts on the student's bill for direct charges, and then the school can refund money to the student, I believe I'm right in this, to cover expenses like books and living expenses if it's not directly billed by the school. Organizations that fund for social work. Um, we we actually we actually have um, a scholarship that funds graduate social workers. Um, and again, you could look at professional associations, you know, of social workers. That might be a good site to look at, state and federally, to see what other programs they have. When you complete the free application for federal student aid, it will ask you the number of people in your household and the number of people attending post-secondary school. What happens is when the federal formula calculates the expected family contribution, if you have two people in school, that's usually divided by two. What, you would, what I would suggest that you do is if they're both in school at the same time and they're going to two different institutions, have a conversation with the financial aid office to inform them that you do have another dependent attending another undergraduate school, and what the financial aid office could possibly do is to work with you so that your burden towards the cost of education can be reduced. Each student has their individual PIN number. As a parent, you would have one PIN number that you would be able to use for all of your dependents. If you have a PIN number already, you just use the same PIN number. Some schools weigh grades and some don't. You just need to know which school you're interested in and check with that school to see if they use a weighted GPA system or a non-weighted um, system. Um, advanced placement, some schools will give some advanced weight um, due to the more rigorous um, content in that class. So you just need to check with the school. It's, it's basically school-specific if they will add some weight to those grades. I guess she's asking if, um, would it be better if a student just take a basic standard class as opposed to a more challenging class? I would say no. Um, the better prepared you are will determine how well you actually matriculate through college. So if you're taking more challenging courses in high school, it's going to better prepare you for college. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that you take a less challenging um, class in high school. Of course, in high school, it, you, may have an, you may have a better GPA but you may not be as ready to actually deal with the, the content in those classes. So I would recommend that you take the more challenging courses in high school. Are you asking about the private scholarship? Um, for, for, yeah, we support um, all full-time college students. So if you, we, have, we have had applicants that have been homeschooled. Absolutely. Yeah, if you've been homeschooled and you're going to be a full-time college student, you can apply for the same private scholarships as anyone else can. Basically, the federal formula no longer includes the fact that the parent is enrolled in school, but the financial aid office does have some flexibility. So the initial formula is it will not include a student and a parent in calculating the expected family contribution, but then that would be a conversation with the financial aid office, and we do have the ability to take into account that the parent is either a part-time or full-time student, and we can make adjustments to the expected family contribution using what is termed professional judgment. 
how it does do that. Um, I'm not sure how long we're going to be doing that. We're still doing that now. Where if a student attended, it would have to be a Howard County high school and they would get a B or above in a software apps class that comes in, that articulates as our software applications for micros, which is a three credit class. However, that is good enough for it to transfer into Howard and it will help them um, when they graduate, it will count towards their graduation, but it is not a credit that is a special agreement between the Howard County Public Schools and Howard Community College. It would not transfer, um, for instance, if a student wanted to go to Morgan or any other uh, institution. It's basically, um, it's almost like a courtesy. It's, it's in-house that we're sort of rewarding students and um, it, would, it would help them gain three credits without having to pay for those three credits because they did so well in high school. It's Howard County only. Okay, yes, sir, in the middle. But you need to check with maybe there's a, an articulation with, with the local, with, with Baltimore City or Baltimore County, um, and, and check that out. I know this is mostly Maryland residents and money from Maryland schools. Yeah, as far as the private scholarships, we help only Maryland residents, but you can go to any school in the United States, any accredited school in the United States. You would have to reside in Maryland, but you could go to a school like Howard or you know any of the schools in, in D.C. And, and I think... Well, federal money, you can use it at any eligible school, because the federal government has a list of schools that are eligible to participate in the federal program. So for most schools nationwide the federal funds would be available. But as a D.C. resident, the District of Columbia has funds available for their students to use at schools in D.C. and schools in Maryland. So D.C. TAG, things like that, if you are a D.C. resident, you would apply directly to their Office of Post-Secondary Education to see what the eligibility would be for their funding. Okay. Can use federal funds and can use private funds. But cannot use state funds unless it's a legislative scholarship and it's a unique major. Okay, lady in the back. Yes, ma'am. She said, what happens when your financial aid maxes out and you reach your 150? You're meaning the 150% that you can get during an academic year? What happens is you normally are eligible to get aid. If you're in a four-year program, you can receive federal and institutional aid for up to six years. After that, because the, the premise is if you're in a four-year program, you should be able to complete that four-year program within six years. If the program is not completed in six years, a lot of times the school will have you set out a semester or set out a year they will help you come up with a strategic plan to make certain that if they are able to award you for possibly one or two more semesters, that awarding you during that time period will allow you to successfully complete the program. No, initially, you, if, even if you started in a pre-anything program, you still should be able to complete 
a bachelor's degree within a four-year, if not, you will be able to get aid for an additional two years, but beyond that, you should have been able to successfully complete the program within a six-year period. But if you are at the maximum, I would suggest that you make an appointment with the financial aid advisor at the school, and they'll be able to tell you what your options are, because that's a unique situation. Okay, I'm going to take one more question because we have to, there are people downstairs, there are colleges and other organizations downstairs, and we're closing at 8 o'clock. The state of Maryland does make available, uh, one of our programs is strictly for graduate and professional students, but it's limited to certain areas, certain fields, okay? Uh, again, for uh, state aid, there is that one program, and we also have programs available for people even after they get out of their uh, graduate programs. We have loan assistance repayment programs. But I think somebody here needs to say something about the federal. Yeah, for the federal programs, it's basically the loan programs for graduate study. Unless there is a fellowship, depending on your major, oftentimes for graduate professional education, the individual school will have funds set aside to provide assistance to students while they're in the graduate program. Priority will be given to students in graduate school who are full-time students, but there are still some funds available for students who are attending part-time. Uh, please join me in giving our panelists a hand. Thank you.